Well, as we're uh, turning back to Luke, I, I want us to kind of anchor in a uh, beginning of Luke 1. There's so much to the, the birth of Christ. It, it, it's, it's really one of the, the, the great studies that there is in the Scripture. And unfortunately, it, it, it gets glossed over if you can believe it. Uh, even during Christmas, it gets glossed over because there is a lot. And so then we isolate on maybe a, a small section. Um, but as I mentioned before, Christmas, it, it's all about Jesus, right? Well, so, so, I mean, what's going on with Christmas, right? We've talked about this. It's, you know, we see Santa Claus and snowmen and elves. Um, and as Americans, we have some of these traditions. We see Christmas trees and, you know, gifts and Christmas lights. And, you know, we're... we're not saying that we, we can't, you know, um, celebrate those different things, but that's not what Christmas is about. Um, and we want to make sure that we are at least as wise as children and, and, and know that it's about Jesus. Um, we're studying Revelation. And, and as we've mentioned before in the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is almost divided into three perfect parts of what? Of revealing Jesus Christ. The revelation is not the revelation of the end times. It's not the revelation of Armageddon. It's not the revelation of the Antichrist and the beast. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That begs the question, well, what's it revealing? Well, part of what it's revealing is at the end, the battle with Armageddon, the battle with the Antichrist. But the main thing that it's revealing constantly is that Jesus is the lamb. It's the lamb that's worthy to break the seal. It's the lamb who, who comes with the sickle, right? Uh, it's about the king. It, Jesus is the king, not only of the heavens and the throne, but of the world as well. And he will finally establish his kingdom. And he is Lord. This is the God-man, Emmanuel, who sits in heaven the Son of God. And so that is what Revelation is. And so when we take a break from Revelation, we're actually now doing an even deeper dive into who Jesus is as the Lamb, as the King, and as God. And we see that right from the beginning in Luke 2 that we just read, and, and we'll be reading a little bit through Luke 1 as well. So Christmas is about Jesus then in, in these three very, very significant ways, that Jesus is the Savior, that's what the Lamb does, Jesus is the Christ, the, the, the King, and Jesus is the Lord. Well, some background, because maybe you haven't been with us, and maybe you're new, but a little bit of background. First of all, we talk about this great hope, Israel had this great hope, this, this one that was coming, the, the anointed one that would be coming, the promised one that would be coming. And this promised one was known as the Messiah. In the Hebrew, that's what the Hebrew means. It means anointed one, chosen one, God ordained. In his purpose, his purpose was very clear and very distinct. It was to save Israel, to save Israel through this coming king. Now, if that's the only thing that you've ever heard and known, well, what would that mean? 
save Israel? Are we talking about politically saving Israel? Are we talking about spiritually saving Israel? Well, that's the mistake Israel made. Israel wanted that king to come politically to save them, right? From the Babylonians, from the Persians, from the Romans, from the occupation. And so Israel's great desire was to get their land back, to be free, to have their king, not some Roman king governing over them. And so their hope and their desire year after year, century after century was that finally that they would have a king that ruled over them and not some foreign magistrate. Well, the problem is they didn't realize that what they needed to save them wasn't so much politically, it was spiritually. And Jesus's plan to come was to save them, save them, to save their life as though they were in the river drowning and dying. But they didn't want that. They didn't see that. Reminds me of some people that I know very closely and dearly. We call them Americans, right? We so want to be saved from the politics. Who cares? Who cares? Are, are, are you saved in, from your soul? Because um, that's what matters. That's what you should be focused on. That should be your, your, your pursuit. Yeah, we care about what happens politically. I'm not pretending like I don't care. But that, that's not what our life is about. Um, and so Israel was a little bit blinded. They had this, this promised coming one, but they missed it. Uh, they were waiting for Christ's first arrival. We're waiting for a second arrival, right? That's what we're studying in Revelation about too. Well, God wasn't mysterious, God wasn't that mysterious, right? I mean, he's a little mysterious, but uh, he gave us some markers. Uh, if you turn with me to Isaiah, Isaiah 7. Uh, pretty clear, you know. Um, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. So God tells Isaiah, a prophet, look, let me lay it out for you. I am going to give you a sign. Here's a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. So I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I've been walking the face of the earth for a while now, and I haven't seen a lot of virgins that have had babies. It doesn't happen. So that's a pretty good sign, right? That'd be a good sign. Um, and will bear a child, a son, not just a child, a son. And then here, here's a, a big indicator of what's going to take place. And she will call his name. His name is God with us. Remember some of those names that, you know, Sarah, she laughs, right? Um, in the Old Testament. We, well, here's, here's one. God with us. God with us. Time to come eat. God with us. Right? Um, his name is God with us. How do you miss that one? That's who he is. Um, well, that was Isaiah 7.14. They, they should have been desperately seeking and waiting for God with us to come. 
but they had their eyes set on other things. And Isaiah 42, 1 uh, states that my chosen one will bring justice to the nations. That one they don't miss. They, they know that one. The chosen one's going to bring justice to the nations, meaning Israel wins. Israel has victory. Israel conquers everybody else. Um, but what about Isaiah 53? That's another one of our key Christmas verses. Isaiah 53, again, really kind of locks in and some specifics. Isaiah 53, um, starting at verse 3. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men will hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was pierced why? Through our transgressions, through our sins. He was crushed. Why? For our iniquities, our sin. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused that iniquity of us all to fall on him. How did they miss it? How did they miss it that this coming king, this coming Messiah would, would, would be one who wouldn't come, you know, puff chested and, and, and victorious. He was going to come as, as one who was going to bear griefs and sorrows and be afflicted and stricken and, and pierced and crushed and scourged. They should have been looking for that guy. Who's that guy? Instead, they were looking for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um. You know, upstairs we've we've got the little school going, and the and the mascot is the ram, you know, and the and the ram's buff, and he he looks manly, right? And he's he's you know big chested and big horns, and if you ever you know watch on videos, you know the 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 rams you know locking and they're they're powerful and they're mighty, and you know we like that. But the rams also symbolizes the sacrifice. The ram, the ram is slain. The, the ram is what's caught in the thicket with Abraham and Isaac as the sacrifice, as the one who gives himself up for others. Well, that's, the scriptures say, that's who's coming. Not, not puff chest ram, who's going to ram into everybody, right, and bulldoze his way through to victory. No, he is going to be the one that's going to be pierced and crushed and scourged. Why? Just because he's a martyr and likes it? No, because he is the sacrifice. He's the sacrifice and he does this for the, our iniquity, because of our iniquity, because of our sin. So that's what was laid out. That was like just some of the background. Well, turn with me back to Luke 1 and... Let's just get a little bit of, of the context in, in time. Luke 1 begins uh, verse 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to complete an account of things accomplished among us, just as those from the beginning were eyewitnesses 
and servants of the word have handed them down to us, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you. In consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus. Well, one of the things that we need to understand is in verse 4 says, so that you might know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. How important is the birth of Jesus Christ? It's the most important thing that's ever happened in human history. Because the, the crucifixion doesn't happen without the birth. Right? So... There were eyewitnesses that were there. You know why? Because someday somebody would come along and say, well, Jesus never existed. <laughs> really? Uh, we, we, we have eyewitnesses. Uh, show me the proof. This is the proof. This is the most accurate historical document in the history of mankind. This is the most accurate geographical document ever in the history of mankind. This is the most accurate scientific document in the history of mankind. This is the most accurate archaeological document in the history of mankind. Um, talk about fake news. This is nothing but, but eyewitnesses and different accounts of different people writing down what they saw. If you can't believe this account, well, you, you can't believe that Rome existed. What about George Washington? You guys ever see a video of him? No, people that were eyewitnesses wrote these things down. It's the same thing that's happening here. And Luke comes out of the gate. Look, this is an eyewitnesses and I investigated everything. Why? Because this story's crazy. This can't happen. Nobody's going to believe this. Well, so, so let me put it on the line. I examined this. I, I, I examined this. I investigated it. So that you might know some of the truth. Part of the truth. No, the exact truth. This is the exact truth. Not a movie. Not, not a book. Written by man. This is the exact truth about the things that you've been taught in here. This is an accurate account. Verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea. Yep, real person, real life. Nobody doubts King Herod. Um, there, were certain, there was a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of the Lord, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Man, what a great thing to say about a couple, huh? There's a goal for you. And they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. They had no child because God made it so that she was not barren. They were both advanced in years. Now it came about while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed time order of his division. He's doing his job faithfully. According to the custom of the priestly office, he's doing it accurately. He was chosen by a lot. They would draw lots to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Remember, not everybody can go into the temple, right? Remember the high priest used to have to tie a rope to go into the Holy of Holies? If he wasn't worthy, he could die, and they'd just pull that dude out because they're not going in there. And so he gets the lot, and he's doing his, his duties. Verse 10, And the whole multitude of people were in prayer outside, 
at the hour of incense of offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Now, this is a godly man, right? This is a, a righteous man. This is a man who is, who is in the ministry. This is a guy who's doing a good job in the ministry. And he sees an angel standing at the right of the altar. Verse 12, and Zacharias was, was troubled when he saw him, and fear gripped him. Again, one, one of the most common things when people come into the presence of God or an angel is fear. Because this is so magnificent, so unbelievable, that you are now standing usually in the presence of something that's so spectacular that you know you're not worthy. And it scares you. You, you, you have a, an awe, of, 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 of fearful awe. And it's a good awe. Proverbs talks about that, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not the friendship of the Lord, not the love of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zacharias, for you, your petition, your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. Did you guys catch that? Are we, are we talking about making sacrifices as this priestly thing? Or are we talking about this prayer that him and his wife, Elizabeth, were praying. You know what they wanted? They wanted a baby. They, like Hannah, Hannah wanted a child and Hannah beseeched the Lord. Not just for a baby, because now we're talking miracle baby, right? And so they're in prayer. And this angel says that, you know what, your prayer, you and your wife, it's been heard. <clears throat> and you will bear a son. And you will give him the name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet his, in his mother's womb. In his mother's womb, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now remember, this is pre-Jesus. This is pre-Holy Spirit being sent and dwelling in all believers, right? This is more Old Testament where the Holy Spirit by special occasion would come in and dwell people. So the Holy Spirit is with John in the mother's womb. You may know John's last name better as the Baptist. Um, it's not his last name, but that's how we know him. So he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. What a, what an amazing blessing. I mean, as a father, you know, an angel comes and says, hey, you're, you're going to have a son. Hmm, that, that's, that's great. Awesome. Love my girls. But son would be cool. Uh, we can play some catch, you know, do some stuff. He says, no, no, no. You, you, your son's going to turn back the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. Oh, sorry, son. I would trade touchdowns and home runs and strikeouts for turning people back to the Lord any day of the week, right? So this angel tells John, this is who your kid's going to be. This godly man, well, verse 17, and it is he who will go as a forerunner before him. Well, John's special. He, he's not the guy, but he's a guy. We don't, we don't know yet. What do you mean forerunner? He's a forerunner for somebody. He's a forerunner for Jesus, right? 
in spirit and the power of Elijah to turn, again, to turn the hearts of their fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So their son is going to be this guy who's going to usher in this, this, this revival, this awakening, right? That's a pretty awesome thing to be told, this, this announcement by the angel. Well, what's this godly man's response? Verse 18, and Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know for certain? For I'm an old man. You were just praying for this. The angel comes and says, "You're but I'm old. And my wife, I think I'm old, look at her. That's not a real color, right? It's, um, and, and so, I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. That's a very sweet way of saying it, but I don't recommend it, okay? <laughs> just, just saying. I don't know a lot, but verse 19, and the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. You, you need me to announce who I am? I'm Gabriel. Stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you. I am, I am sent from God himself to bring you this good news. This amazing news that Israel is going to have a revival. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place. Why? Because you did not believe my words. See, here's the thing. Zacharias could go and be a godly man and be a good man and say hi and look good at church and do all his, his duties and stuff, but he's not fooling anybody, not the ones who count. You can fool me. Sons can fool dads, right? It, it happens. Um, but you're not fooling God. He knows what's happening in here. And so Zacharias, this godly man, is going to be punished why? Because he doesn't believe. He's been praying. He's a godly man, but he does not have the faith and the confidence. Do we pray that way? Do, do, do we pray with just, eh, I'm going to say it because I guess I should, but I don't believe it. Do we pray for miracles? Because you know what? Only God can fix this. Can, can we yield before the throne of God and say, look, I can't do it. If I could do it, then I would do it. I can't do it. I need you, God. And then God says, okay, I'll do it. No, I don't. You can't do it. I'm old. What are we doing? And because you didn't pray. Now, I love God. God, it's it's temporary. You didn't believe my words, which shall be fulfilled in the proper time. And And the people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And it came about that when the days of his priestly service were ended, that he went back home. And so he's going to have this, this temporary uh, muting about nine months, right? Verse 24. And after these things, these day, uh, after these days, Elizabeth, his wife became pregnant and 
she kept herself in seclusion for five months. So the miracle happens. She's pregnant. This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with me with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. So Elizabeth clearly knows that this is a miracle baby from God. Verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. A descendant of David, meaning this is a guy who's in the line of the kingship, right? And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. Again, but she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of situation this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Well, that's a powerful statement. Remember Emmanuel, God with us? Well, Jesus has a meaning too. And Jesus actually comes from the name Joshua in the Old Testament, which means Yahweh saves, God saves. So this child's name is going to be God saves. Jesus' name is God is salvation. That's his name. His name is salvation. His purpose then is to save, right? To save. Save sinners. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And, and here we go. And he will be great. Okay, he's going to be famous gladiator, king, or no. He will be called the son of the most high. What? The son of the, that, that's God. He's the son of God. The son of God is, is, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He is going to be the, the God king, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. He's the eternal God king, and his kingdom will have no end. Wow. That's who's, that's Mary's son, Jesus. And Mary said to the angel, how can it be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. This is the begotten. This is not Joseph and Mary's conceived child. This is God's child. This is God's begotten son. And behold, your relative is Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she was called barren, is now in her sixth month. Why? For nothing is impossible with God. You can only imagine when they get together. Mary, the virgin, Elizabeth, the barren one. You're pregnant? You're pregnant? This is crazy. And, and just the, 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 the confirmation. Because like only they know, right? And for both of them to have that moment. And they know. Why? And they got, there's nothing that's impossible with God. Verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, 
the bond slave of the Lord be done, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Interesting, Mary doesn't have the same response as Zacharias, the godly one. Jeez, I don't know what's going on here, but I believe. Now, at this time, Mary arose and went with haste to the whole country, to a city in Judea, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. She races over to Elizabeth. Elizabeth, you know what's going on? And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And now has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. And behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believes that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to her by the Lord. And so again, we just we see this, this simple faith, this simple belief. We see what's happening now with the power of the Holy Spirit. That the, the, John the Baptist, is he, he's ready to go. He, he, he's, he's ready. His job, his function, his purpose in life is to be the forerunner of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's already at work in him. And then we see this little piece from Mary. Look, Mary is not sinless. Mary is not perfect. There was no immaculate conception. We, we see a piece of that here in her little praise prayer where she confesses. It's a confession of who God is and who she is. God is her savior. Only sinners need saving, right? She's not perfect. She is not holy. In verse 46, and Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord and my soul has rejoiced in God, my savior, for he has had regard for, for the humble state of his bond slave. She's a bond slave for behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed, blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. She didn't do it. She had nothing to do with it. It was God. And holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation. We receive God's mercy. What's mercy? You don't get what you actually do deserve. Do you know what you deserve? It's not good. I, I, I never received a punishment from my father that I didn't deserve. And so many times I remember thinking, hey, I deserve worse than this. Verse 51, he has done mighty deeds with his arm. He scattered those who were proud in their thoughts, in the thoughts of their hearts. That's our great sin. That's our great sin is we're proud. We think we're bigger, better, smarter than God. Thoughts of their hearts. He had, has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. And he has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Remember the Abrahamic covenant? God hasn't forgotten. Mary didn't forget. Verse 56, and Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. Now, the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth and she brought forth a son and her neighbors and her relatives heard the Lord, what the Lord had 
displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it came about in the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, again being obedient, that they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. And his mother answered, said, No, indeed, he shall be called John. What did the angel tell Zacharias to name him? John, not Zacharias Jr., right? Not Zacharias the third, right? He's supposed to call him John. Well, Zacharias is about nine months to think about this, not talk about it, think about it. What does he believe? Verse 61. And they said to her, there is no one of your relatives is called, his name is John, that name, John. Where did Johnny come from? What kind of name is that? And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and he wrote it as follows. His name is John. And they were all astonished. He might as well have said, I believe. I believe. 100% all in, I believe. The belief wasn't a profession like that. It was an obedience. When God looks at you, he doesn't ask you to say, I believe. He wants to see the action. He wants to see, and in this case, this obedience of his name will be John. And at once, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak. What did he speak? In praise of God. Why did you do this to me, God? No, praising God. He learned. And fear came upon all those around them. Why not praise? Why not jubilee? Because God's to be feared. And all those, all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them kept them in mind saying, what then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was, was certainly on him. So John the Baptist, a miracle baby. There's crazy, amazing things going on with John the Baptist. Like, who is this guy? Right? Who is he? <clears throat> and his father... Verse 67, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption to his people and and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servants. Notice this language. It's not conquering king. It's not destroy Rome. It's redemption. It's salvation. It's saving the house of Israel. And as he spoke by the mouth of his prophets from, from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. There's going to be deliverance from them to show mercy towards our fathers and remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, remember the Abrahamic covenant, and our father to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And this dude's rolling. He hasn't preached for nine months, right? And it's just coming out. Boom, boom. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his way, his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation. By the forgiving of their sins. What is salvation? Salvation is a forgiveness of sin. 
That's the good news. The good news isn't that you're perfect. That's not the good news. You're not perfect. If you're not sure, ask the person next to you. They've got a list. You deserved coal this Christmas. That's what you deserve. But by the forgiveness of sin, because why? The tender mercy of God. Our God is merciful. He's merciful. He doesn't give us the spanking, the whooping that we deserve. With which the sunrise from on high shall visit us to shine upon those who sit in the darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and become strong in spirit. And he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. That's John the Baptist. That's the forerunner of Jesus. I told you there's a lot here. We haven't gotten to the, to the good stuff. Luke 2.1. Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabitants of the earth that this was the first sentence taken while Quirinus was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. We've forgotten about John the Baptist. He's out in the desert. We've forgotten about Jesus. He's not born yet. And Joseph went also from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth in Judea, to a city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David. Remember in Matthew, when we're reading the the genealogy, you're like, what are, what are we reading all these names for? What's the point? Again, the point is witnesses. The point is proof that this guy is in the line of kingship. He is in the family of David. If you were in a king's family, you would know too. That's why you guys don't know, you know, past two generations. That's why I barely know past one. Now, if there's somebody special, then, you know, you know, right? You ever meet anybody who knows some, had somebody in their past? Oh, everybody knows, because they'll remind you. Well, being part of the royal line, David, is definitely not something you could fake. Verse 5, in order, and they had a registration that proved that, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him, was with child, and it came about that while they were there that the days were complete for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. You know, we want to know so much about what's in between these lines, right? Focus less on what's in between the lines and just read what's there. What is actually taking place here? That you've got this humble beginning. You, you've got Mary and Joseph. You've got these shepherds. And this angel comes and, and, and shows himself. And the people are scared because of this, this image. Why? 
For behold, I bring you good news. And the angel immediately says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. What's the good news? What's the good news? What, what's, what's the great news? Verse 11, for today in the city of David, there has been born for you. Here's the good news. A Savior who is the Christ, who is the Lord. The Baptist is not John's last name. Christ is not Jesus' last name. That's his title. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. And this will be a, fine, a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with them an angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. So with it being laid out here so perfectly, how do we miss... How do we constantly miss the point of Christmas? Is it because we focus so much on everything else that we just gloss right over the simple truth and point of Christmas? Verse 11, for today in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior, the Christ, the Lord. That's the point of Christmas. The good news is that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is that coming Savior that they were all hoping for in Isaiah. Jesus didn't come to seek. Uh, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, not to come to destroy. He came to save. Hebrews 7 talks about the, there being a better priest, a better priest, a high priest who would offer himself up once for everybody. Hebrews 9, 12 goes on to say, he's the better atonement, better than goats, better than calves, through his blood, eternal redemption. 1 John 2, 2 talks about Jesus being the propitiation, the complete and full payment for sin. That's who's born, the Savior, the Savior who paid for our sin, who saved us. Why is it good news? The bad news is there is a hell. We're studying about that in Revelation. There is a hell. There is an eternal place of suffering and torment that was re re reserved for Satan and his demons, but is also reserved for those who do not follow Christ. That's bad news. That's horrible news. That's frightening news. But the good news is you don't have to go that path. Jesus is the Christ by birthright. We saw that when we talked about it, Matthew 1.16. He's the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Isaiah or Psalm 110.4 talks about the order of Melchizedek. Matthew 16.16, 16, Peter proclaims him when he says, who, you know, who's Jesus? He's Christ. He is the Christ, the Son of God. And then in that great um, moment of, of Thomas, remember doubting Thomas? My Lord, my God. Not, not, not just my King, my God. And so Jesus is the Lord God. 
So Christmas is, it's about Jesus. There's a lot to know about Jesus. There's a lot to know about Jesus. And this is just a great reminder that God is with us. Um, John 3.16 reminds us that, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. How can it be? John 1 talks about the word becoming flesh. Philippians 2 talks about Jesus emptying himself in the great kenosis. But make no mistake, Jesus is the God-man. He is Emmanuel. When confronted with that, in John 8, he says, I am, right? He, as we've been studying in Revelation 1, Revelation begins with it and it ends with this. He, the Lamb, is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the Eternal One. And this is the one who has mercy upon us for our sin. And he's the same one. Now, picture this. You've just disobeyed your parent. You've just... Forget the embarrassing humility piece of that. You've just broken their heart with your rebellion. You, you might as well clench your fist. You might as well just look them in the eye and say what you really mean, because that's what you're doing. And it's at that point that, that Jesus dies for you. It's, 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 it's crazy. But you know what? That's what any father would do. Any father would actually say, I'll, I'll take it. I'll, I'll take it on. But it, it wouldn't work. And you may die once for one of your child's sins, but you, that's it. It's over. Um, Jesus takes the whole burden upon himself. The whole thing. It's, it's, it's in a, the, the most incredible expression and act of love. That's why the Christmas story is so unbelievable. Because um, he's born on that mission. He wasn't born in a, in a palace. He wasn't born with, with a parade. He wasn't born in luxury. He was born in poverty to just two poor people. And then he was scourged and pierced and tortured and died to pay for our sins. That's Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for...